I had Logan Paul on my million. podcast. Would Logan do it with me? <laughs> Logan would kick your ass, I think. Mm. You're riding a fantastic wave. How could you not make some mistakes along the way? Think How can you be for small government and then have the government dictate all these things you. in your personal life, exactly. right? You idiots. idiots. You got it completely wrong. Can't you just wake up <laughs> exactly. and stop? Exactly. I was walking down the hallway like a dotted bull with a needle sticking out of my ass. Tell me the five steps to like, to the gates of point where someone like you would say, I want this guy in my life. I want to help this guy. Hey, Jordan Belfort here, the Wolf of Wall Street. Welcome you to another awesome episode of The Wolf's Den. This one is only going to be in audio. It won't be released two weeks later on video for obvious reasons. This one being that the person I am interviewing is not in front of me because of the coronavirus or COVID-19. Don't want to make a joke about it, but we need to keep things light here because everyone is acting as if the world as we know it is coming to an end. I do not believe it is. In fact, I believe there's massive opportunities all around us right now. There's no doubt there's also some pain, but we have to take what's thrown at us, analyze it, protect ourselves as much as possible on the downside. I'm talking business-wise right now, and then figure out how to make the best of it, meaning how to grow, how to survive, how to thrive, actually, so that when this does eventually run its course, and it will, quicker than you think, we can all get back to normal and be set up for even more greatness than we had before this started. So, who is my guest today? Well, I've been speaking about coronavirus for a couple of weeks now, both on my podcast I've been doing live streams on Facebook and Instagram. I have stuff on YouTube out there as well. And I personally have a tremendous amount of knowledge. I was a biochem major. I have a degree in biochemistry. Studied this stuff for years and years. But I figured the time was perfect now to call in a credentialed expert. Someone who's not just familiar with coronavirus and has studied this stuff because he's a doctor, but he's actually the sort of doctor that's on the front line, someone who's actually going out there into people's homes and into hospitals right now and treating people. So let me just give you the bio here of Dr. Ronald Primus. Dr. Primus is a highly respected travel medicine expert. He's doubly credentialed and certified in travel medicine clinical tropical medicine, and traveling health overall. Dr. Primus, who, by the way, is a personal friend of mine, has been the recipient of the prestigious American Academy of Home Care Physicians 2002 House Call Doctor of the Year Award, AMA Physician Recognition Award. He's also listed in the Guide to America's Top Physicians as the New York Super Doctor in Internal Medicine. He is the real deal and as you're about to find out, he has treated my daughter who came down with coronavirus last week. So stay tuned now. And here he is, a good friend of mine and a truly awesome man, Dr. Ronald Primus. Doc, how you doing tonight? How's everything? Everything's amazing. You're all hunkered down? I am hunkered down and I have so many questions I want to ask you. I have a list of questions that other people want to ask you. So first of all, give me the, the big picture here from your perspective as a person who's out there treating people. Where is this going? How did it start? And when does it end? So it looks like it started from 
what we call a zoonotic infection, meaning that this virus originally was in animals. I think in this particular case, it was a bat. Um, and somehow either someone ate the bat or put it in their stew or was in contact with it. And the virus, like anything else that's alive, wants to multiply and mutate and be able to live no matter what. So when it finds an opportunity and, um, you know, an, an effective host, uh, it will jump species. And that's what it looks like happened in this particular case. Um, and the virus mutated in such a way that it's very aggressive, it's very virulent, meaning that it can spread pretty quickly and pretty aggressively to many different people. Um, so as an example, influenza can probably infect, one person can probably infect two or three other people if they're nearby. This particular virus is so aggressive that you can possibly infect seven or eight people at a time. Really? Yeah. Wow. So wow. It, it's, it's a very aggressive virus. Um, and it spread really, really quickly through China. And before the Chinese government had a chance to get a handle on it, um, already the cat was out of the bag because there were a lot of people who traveled to that particular province and migrated out to the rest of the world and, you know, kind of spread the love, so to speak. Um, right. so, uh, in this, in this case, um, in, in just a matter of months, this thing has gone from just infecting one person to literally infecting hundreds of thousands of people around the planet. Uh, so it's just, it's a very aggressive virus and, and we have to take drastic measures uh, like we've never seen before in order to prevent this from spreading even more than it has in this short amount of time. Okay, let me ask you a question. So one, one thing that confuses me, right, is that Every year, people die of whether it's heart disease, cancer, overeating, the flu, right? So people are going to die. And most of the people that do die are in these high-risk groups. They're older. They have something that, you know, make them immune compromised or underlying heart condition or, you know, breathing condition. So if, if that's the case, is, is, it, is it truly attacking just that would not not is it is the mortality occurring just in those groups or is it sort of like a fiction of the press? Actually, no. People are dying of all ages. It's not just old people. P people are dying of old ages of of all ages, and but you're correct in that the majority of the patients that succumb to the illness tend to be over eighty. Uh, most of the people that have to be hospitalized are over sixty, but. One of the people that I test, actually two people that I tested last week were both in contact with other young people. One, one of them was in contact with a 28-year-old. The other was in contact with a 32-year-old. And both of them are in your intensive care unit right now. Now, truth be told, those two patients that my patients told me about uh, were like club kids, right? They smoked, uh, you know, cigarettes, marijuana, cocaine, whatever, smoke is smoke. The lung is not meant to be a filter. The lung is meant to just oxygenate you, right? And, you know, uh, people who are not doing so well, 
not just people with underlying lung disease, but, you know, people that are, you know, heavy smokers and young people that are heavy smokers, even if it's marijuana, um, people that are, you know, doing crystal meth, you know, uh, patients with HIV. So it's a, it's a, it's a pretty broad demographic. The thankful thing is that so far it's not affected children. I, and I have my own theory on that. Why? But why is that? Why? Uh, what's your theory? What's your theory on that? So, so my theory is there, there's two types of immune uh, cells in the body. There's B cells and T cells. Um, B cells are around all the time. Although when you get older, you will, you know, have a little bit less of those, but T cells, uh, which are produced in the bone marrow, then mature in the thymus gland, which is in the chest. Um, you know, in, in most old people have, you know, very poor function of the T cells. And the same thing with patients that are HIV infected, for example, they have very, very poor T cell functions. Patients with cancer have poor T cell function. Young kids have really large thymuses and, and have really robust, um, you know, uh, 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 T cell function and amount of T cells. So I think that, and I think that everybody else is starting to get in agreement with this, is that this is mostly a T cell deficient mediated disease. I mean, of course, there's a lot of other cofactors that go along with it, but this particular virus is, is very smart. It gets into the cell and the T cell is responsible to do what they call intracellular um, killing of, of a cell that's infected. And if you have less T cells or poorly functioning T cells that are circulating around, um, you're not going to fare as well as someone who's younger and healthier and may not have any symptoms at all with this virus and, and be infected. I think there was an actor yesterday who, you know, was in contact with somebody. I forgot his name. Um, Idris Elba. It was Idris Elba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, him. Idris Elba had uh, no symptoms at all and got the swab and the swab came back positive and he rightly decided to self-quarantine and not infect other people. The more that we can do that, the more we can at least stem the, the tide of this virus that's coming. So yeah, I think so. That was Idris Elba and basically, um, yeah, he was going to, uh, once he was going to play James Bond, I think he's been in the Avengers, but I guess here's, here's a different take on this. If all the kids that, uh, get this pretty much don't exhibit symptoms. And I hear they're highly contagious. So they act almost as carriers in that period of time when they have the virus, their immune system hasn't actually beat it yet, but they're not exhibiting symptoms. They exactly the carriers, right? So how, let me ask you this. Why not allow kids to get this and let because why not isolate the old people, all of the old people, all the people at risk, let the children get it now because then they, they become immune once they get it. Then they serve as blockers for the disease. If they if all the kids were to get this and become immune and all the people in that 18, you know, under 21, you're under 30 years old were to get this quickly, then all of a sudden now they can no longer transmit the virus. So you sequester all the old people, the people who are immune compromised. Anybody who's in high risk gets sequestered. They quarantine. Rather than shutting down the entire economy, why do it this way? I'm sure there's a reason, but I just can't figure it out. No, I mean, that's 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 a good thought. And you're right. The If you have a bunch of young population 
with minimal amount of um, you know risk, then it's it's called herd immunity. If they all get infected at the same time and show minimal symptoms, they'll have no downtime. They can go back to school. Um, but the problem is that it's all the other people that they're in contact with. Um, and even if you, it's 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 going to be extremely difficult to isolate just elderly people when you know they need you know assistance and even though the children are not directly uh helping them um they're maybe in contact with some adult who's taking care of someone who's elderly and so you know it, it can get kind of dicey to, but you're correct that that would be one option i guess my point is is that if this goes on for let's say, well, let me ask you: How long do you think this idea of everyone staying at home and not actually, you know, resuming a normal economic activity? How long do you think this goes on for? You know, I spoke to some people that I know at the CDC, and they think that you know they're going to have a, probably a huge wave within the next week or two, and it's going to last for about a month to six weeks. It'll quiet down. You'll then have some sporadic cases here and there till probably end of, hopefully it's a season. Um, but, you know, conservative estimate is, is, is like six to eight weeks for the whole thing to kind of get over the hump, so to speak. And, and what is that? Is that hump? So right now, I assume the infrastructure of healthcare is dramatically ramping up its ability to deal with a wave of infection. So by making everyone stay inside and separate and social distance, they're slowing down the spread while we can essentially run like crazy to meet the anticipated burst of cases that will come no matter what. So if we don't slow down, they get hit next week and people will die in the streets, basically, or old people will die in the streets. or Because the math doesn't 100% add up to me, because here's the deal. If I don't see how this country goes for eight weeks with no real economic activity, and I don't think you probably killed twice as many people from poverty and, and suicide. And no, seriously, I mean, there's other other you know ramifications of doing that. That um, I wonder, just you know, I mean, have you thought about this at all? I'm, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just yeah, raising devil's advocate position. Yeah, I, I think that you know, they may do it in two week intervals and, and get like the highest hotspots first, wait till that wave goes down and then move on. I think a national one, a national kind of quarantine might not be the best thing um, because different communities have different rates of spread, right? So you may have a small rural community that nobody has it or one or two people have it. You know, a place like here in New York where it's a big international hub and so many people are coming in and out, you know, maybe a two week kind of moratorium and having people, you know, kind of stay in is going to help free up some of the hospital beds that elderly people are going to need. So it's all going to, it's all based on like bed shortage at the hospital. Right. Um, so I think if, they, if you can do this, like in two week intervals um and then you'll you'll kind of instead of having one big wave you'll have kind of a few small waves until everybody either a gets herd immunity uh or b a vaccine is developed or just you know some way to kind of stem this tide 
was it was it feel like for you as a doctor? I called you up panicking, and you actually went in the middle of the night to my daughter's house. You dressed in hazmat gear, basically, right, with a respirator yeah. and everything. And you had all these instructions. You had to leave a bag outside her door, so you had to uh, put it in the bag, go right to the incinerator after, right? Yep. Well, how does it feel, yeah. though? Do you still worry that maybe you'll get infected? Of course. But, you know, the thing is that I always take proper infection control. So even if I see someone – I've always done it. So even if I see someone with influenza, for example – even though I get my flu shot every year, flu shot's not foolproof, right? Flu, flu shot, even in a good predicted year, protects like 60, 70%, right? So even with that, there is a chance that I will get it. So whenever I go into someone who I suspect has an illness that I can catch pretty quickly, I will always wear at least at minimum the N95 mask because I, you know, I had a bunch of those from you know, uh, all my previous uh, seeing of patients. Um, and then I always wash my hands. I wash my hands constantly. And so that's how I prevent getting sick all year round. This is just adding extra levels of protection to me. So I wear the face shield. I wear booties. I wear the, you know, the hazmat gown. Uh, so, you know, I go fully protected because Again, it's, it's, it's very aggressive, but I'm, look, I'm doing the best I can and knock on wood, you know, I have no symptoms and I've been seeing people with this for, for a while. Um, I mean, the other thing is I take really, as, as you know, because uh, I know you for a while, I take really good care of myself. So the better that you take care of yourself, the better your immune system is going to be. And even though I'm 60 and my thymus gland is, you know, probably negligible, my T cells, when I checked last, are pretty robust because of all the exercise I do and all the, I sleep well, you know, I eat well. So, you know, that, that's half the battle. So you, you do as much as you can to, kind of, to try and protect yourself from getting it and spreading it to other people. But, right. you know, I make sure I go in with the hazmat thing. Uh, you know, the minute I take all my gear off, there's a... You know, more so than putting it on, the important thing is taking it off. You have to take it off exactly the right way. So, you know, if you take it off the wrong way, you potentially can become infected that way as well. So, you know, you, there's, a, there's a proper technique on disrobing and, you know, getting rid of, you know, the, the uh, garments that are disposable in an incinerator. And um, it just, the only thing that this is doing to my house calls is it's kind of doubling my workload because I have to, it takes me that much more time to be careful because I don't want to slip, right? If, if you even have one break in that chain, I can potentially get infected or infect other people. So, you know, it, it, it's just doubling my work time. Why, why is it that China that has a billion people able to contain it with such a small amount in one area. And they share a border with Russia, a huge porous border. How is it that Russia has no cases? But they're reporting no cases. It doesn't mean they don't have any cases, right? Uh, so okay. I, I think what I read was the, the places that claim that they don't have any is Cuba and North Korea. Now, you don't know if they're skewing their data or they executed the first person that had it to not have spread. I mean, you don't know. Um, I, don't know. I, 
you know, I don't, I don't know if Russia is not having any cases. In, in, in all probability, they probably do. Um, and that's the great thing, you know, about living in America is that we have a free society and people are free to come and go as they please. Whereas it's not that free in China, for example. And, you know, if the government says if you leave your building, you're going to be executed. You know, people are going to stay in their building. You know, over here, we don't we don't have that. So and, you know, on, on one way, it's a blessing that we have an open society. And on another way, you know, these are potential complications that can happen where people have free will. And, you know, unless a direct family member is affected, they're going to keep going out and partying and doing whatever that they do. Um, you know, more than likely what's going to happen is people are going to see a huge spike in this. They're going to be like, oh, man, I better like like you are, hunker down and just not go out. My family's family's not doing anything. My family's just kind of staying in. Yeah. How sick was my daughter when you saw her? Mildly ill, like less than, more than a cold, but less than a flu. Again, we still haven't gotten the result of the test back yet. I have it back tomorrow, but I'm, I'm guessing that she probably had it. Yeah. See, yeah, it. I, she's not, hasn't got back the formal uh, diagnosis, right? No, because, you know, I, I did her test on Saturday and they promised a 72 hour turnaround time, but because of the sheer volume of the amount of tests that they have to process, it's actually, you know, going to delay it. I'll, I'll probably have it back by tomorrow, but I'd be surprised if it was negative. The really interesting thing was about a month ago, you know, there were people coming in here with influenza, like illness, fever, cough, you know, whatever. And, you know, a couple of tests that I did, and this test that I did, look, it's no test is ever foolproof, but the rapid bedside test that I have usually always comes back positive when I think that they have it. And there was a couple of times where the test came back negative, And I even remarked to my office manager, I was like, look, I think there might be a problem with this test. I want to call up my distributor and give them the lot number and, you know, go back to the manufacturer and see if there's a defect in this particular test. Because those tests, whenever I, you know, have a clinical inclination that someone has to want to do the test, usually I'm writing tests that come back positive. But for this particular uh, last month before this, uh, there were people who I thought had it, the test was negative. So in retrospect, it is quite possible that some of those patients actually had COVID-19. Really? Yeah. But again, I take the same precautions and with even someone with influenza, except, you know, without the hazmat stuff. So what is it that's ultimately killing the people? It's not the flick. How does the actual mechanism work? What, you know, it's, it, it gets into the lungs and causes pneumonia. And then from there, it's a, like a toxic shock situation where, or, you know, or a septic so, shock. So what's been happening is the, the virus causes an immune response and the body's response to it goes into like hyperdrive. So this thing is somehow driving the immune system to be super aggressive. And there are, it's almost like having a war, right? So you will have these B and T cells going to fight off this virus. Um, virus will get killed. And there's like fodder, right? There's like byproducts of this war that's going on in your body. Those, those things called like cytokines will go ahead and recruit other cells to come into the area to help in the war. And then 
the blood vessels in that area dilate to try and dump more um, uh, of these inflammatory mediators that we call them into that area to, to fight it off. And then the, the capillaries develop almost like what we call capillary leak, like there's fluid that comes out of it and then kind of flood the small little airways of the lung uh, and cause just a lot of inflammation and fluid retention in the lung. And then there's poor oxygen diffusion. So if someone's breathing in oxygen, the oxygen can't get across that capillary barrier because the capillary is swollen from inflammation. There's a lot of debris that's in the area. So the oxygenation of that little tiny portion of the lung, the smallest portion, when you get down to the microscopic level, um, you know, can't handle the, uh, the, the oxygen coming across it. And you have all the complications of having low oxygen. And then the body starts also recruiting other um, uh, cytokines that start affecting other organs in the body as well. But primarily, primarily, it's uh, a lung disease. And how about, so there's no damage to the kidneys or anything like that? It's most just, it's in the lungs, that's it? It's, it's only in the lungs, in what we call the lower respiratory tract. Got it. Now, if someone's overwhelmed and someone's really, really sick, and then they get what we call a bacterial super infection, meaning like, you know, their body can't fight it off, their immune system is fighting whatever they, they can against this virus, it allows other bacteria that are either in the body or on the body to cause a bacterial infection on top of the viral infection. And people can become septic, you know, from that. What about treatments for this? And would, to me, it would make sense that you would have some antiviral treatments out there right now that would be effective. Just You had mentioned one to me privately, chloroquine kind of was, I think. Hi, yeah, 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 chloroquine. Chloroquine. And, hydro and hydroxychloroquine. It, it's a... It's a, it's a medication that we use for patients um, with lupus um, and, and other illnesses as well. And um, it's been shown in some studies, actually a lot of studies, not some. It's been shown in, in, in a lot of studies to be effective and reducing the viral load in just six days. I think there's a paper coming out from France today. Uh, showing um, benefit and how they cured it. I believe the, the number was 30 patients that they had um, that, that in six days completely reduced the viral load. So they had, I think, 30 people that they gave it to, and they had a control group of 30 people that did not get it, and the people who got it fared much better. There's also yeah. some studies showing that using an antiviral drug in combination with this and zinc can really uh, benefit patients as well and hasten the course of the disease. So I think that's like the next big thing. The only issue is um, that that particular drug has some side effects, right? Not in everybody. Mostly it's a very safe drug. I have some of my patients on it. Rheumatologists have a lot more experience with it than regular internists like I do. But it can cause visual disturbance, some of it irreversible, right? Mostly uh, it can cause permanent color vision alteration. But in, if it, at extremes, at very high doses, it can actually cause retinal issues and, and blindness. But that's very, very extreme. And the studies that were done on that from before actually show that 
patients need to be on that long term, like more than four years in order for that Got to it. be an effect. But in speaking with the rheumatologist that I work with, you know, he's been working with it for many years. And he said he's even seen cases of someone that you just put on it for a couple of days and just whatever that gene environment interaction is, and they'll have color loss that's permanent in just being on it a few days. So it's not without risk, but that said, it's a risk to benefit ratio, right? So for example, if you have someone in the intensive care unit and that person's dying and you have no choice, then it, it behooves you to, to, to do something. And I'd rather have loss of color vision permanently than be dead, right? So Yeah, that's for sure. What about, um, why do you think that Italy is, it seems like the percentage of mortality there is incredibly high. In North, you know, it's like 5% or something, or 6%. So, so, so you, have to, you have to look at demographics, right? I have friends there in Italy, and I asked them this. So um, what happens is most of the people that are dying are in small towns, right? And number one, access to a good ICU access to good doctors that know how to do critical care medicine. Um, you know, the, the, apparently there's not a lot of people that can take care of them. So you have a lot of elderly that are home that are self-sufficient because their kids and their grandkids moved out of these small towns to larger towns like Milan and Turin and whatever. And so they're left alone with medical care that could be better um, it's not bad, but, you know, they have limited access. And so I, I think at the end of the day, when they when they have all their statistics straight, they'll probably find that it's not any more aggressive than the other strains anywhere else. You have to look at the social situation going on there. And I think that's mainly what's happening in that region. So it's not that there's a super version of this, of this virus. No, more than likely. Now, look, I could be wrong, and it could be. But it's not likely you have, you know, I think once all the data is um, in and finalized, uh, when this thing is over, they're going to find that it's more of a situation where, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's like the perfect storm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was told that, like, for example, the reason South Korea is, is, is doing so well, considering is that demographics just tips heavily in the head. For example, the, like that, the uh, men are women harder than men if they're smokers, but very few women smoke in South Korea and the demographics are much younger. Is it like a combination of uh, like all these different facts? Like if you're a smoker, you're older, you're immune compromised, like it's basically the perfect storm for getting, you know, real, you know, a fatal case of this? Yeah. So, so the, the, the thing in, in South Korea is number one, uh, they respect their elders and, you know, they, they have them living at home with them and, and they've been separating their kids from them. Right. So that's part of it. The other thing that was really innovative that they did is they were the first people to set up like these rapid diagnostic testing centers. So they were actually able to capture people in the asymptomatic stage and isolate them earlier. So, you know, I think that's part. So they, they caught people at an earlier stage and, and kind of isolated them out. It's also a lot smaller of a population than we have here or in the whole country of Italy, right? I believe South Korea is a smaller country. 
Um, I'm not mistaken. I might be mistaken. I don't know. I think it's 60. I think it's, I think it's a similar size to Italy. Just like when I look at the numbers from Italy, it's just staggering. It's, it's like, it, it's just incredible. It looks like that. Um, it, it looks like it's also crossing over to younger people as well. Let me ask you this. Is it, is how crucial is it? This ICU, like the respirator, is that the key really to, to life or death when someone gets, gets a bad case of this? Yes. Yeah. I mean, even if it's not a ventilator, intensive care, even if it's um, a non-invasive form of assisted breathing, like, so they have assisted breathing, they have these masks that are pressure masks that they can use. Um, but someone who needs critical care really needs to be in critical care. And if there's a crit, even, even if you're not on a ventilator and, and there's not enough critical care beds, um, it, that's part of the problem. What about the um, process of taking someone who has already had it recently but now recovered? So they have the antibodies circulating in their system, using their plasma to inject that into someone else, a transfusion of plasma. Well, no, what, what they're doing now with people who, who are fully recovered are they are getting uh, the antibody and developing vaccines based on that particular profile. You but can't just give transfusions. Like you know, that was an old way of dealing with. These yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because, because then, then you're looking at, you know, host versus graft react. I mean, you, you know, you, you can get all these different type of reactions. If you get someone else's uh, plasma, that's not exactly matched. And, you know, then there are other complications. So uh, the proper thing to do is with these people that are recovered is to get their antibodies and to make, vaccine based on that. And I think that's what they, they're working on right now. I think that's their big impetus right now. All right. Let's let's go to the dark side now. Ready? I want, I, okay. I, I, ready? Let me ask you some, some kind of stranger questions here. I'm okay. sure you've heard all the conspiracies that we have. Like, right. The virus was made in a lab or it was you know modified in a lab and either it escaped accidentally or on purpose. Do you think there's any truth to that or a possibility that, that this was somehow made in a lab and was not a natural occurring uh, infection? Look, I'm one of these guys that like anything's possible. It's a possibility. It makes for good science fiction. But... The reality is that more than likely, this was a virus that just jumped species. Um, the only kind of thing that makes me think that it may be remotely possible that this particular virus possibly can be man-made is that it's a typical coronavirus, but yet there are conserved parts of it that look like it's uh, HIV. So it almost looks like a blend if you look at it under a microscope. So, I mean, you can argue that, that, yeah, maybe this was manufactured, but it would be highly unlikely. Why do you say highly unlikely? Because it's just, it's just very likely that this just was occurring and it just, it's easier to essentially jump species by someone eating a infected bat or whatever. Right. And, and, yeah, and, you, and you have to look historically of what happened. China was such a poor country for so long, right, that people, instead of starving, would eat rats, bats, whatever. I'm, I'm going back centuries, right? They'd eat whatever was available to them or they'd starve to death. So now that China is having plentiful food, 
you know, some people are still stuck in that mindset over generations of, oh, you know what, let's just have that. And not because they're starving and there's nothing else to eat, but it's now become ingrained in part of their dietary pattern in, in some yeah. remote yeah. areas. A special treat or something, right? Like bats. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so, so you have to look at historically what has happened in, in that region from before. And anytime you are encroaching into an environment where there are animals that are like wild or whatever, I mean, they're going to have certain illnesses that spread among themselves that can now come into uh, a, a population that has a naive immune system to that particular virus. And you'll have exactly what happened now, you know? So it's just taking it's taking advantage of a niche that it can take advantage of. Right. Opportunistic, essentially. Right. Exactly. So in, in the case of COVID-19, that's the disease. That, that, that's the name of the disease, right? COVID-19. Right. Um, do you think this- well, the proper name is SARS-CoV-19 variant, whatever. Anyway, so yes. Do you think this- um, becomes an annual thing or, you know, it'll come, it'll maybe dissipate in the summer, but then comes roaring back next year. Again, it, it's an unknown. Um, I'm hoping that enough people have herd immunity and that this does not uh, have what we call antigenic shift like influenza has. Although, by the way, I think you're going to see come this particular flu season, there will be a universal vaccine that may possibly cause permanent immunity, but that's just a side note. But, you know, what, what they're thinking now based on previous data with SARS and MERS is that it was just a one shot deal and doesn't mutate, doesn't come back. They squash it. The people who have it got immune and, and that's it. Um, and more than likely that's probably what's going to happen. But look, it's such a new disease. Anything's possible. The thing is also, it's, it's, it's really um, interesting where if you look on a map right now of where this thing is, right now it's just in the Northern Hemisphere. There's just a few cases in the Southern Hemisphere because it's not their winter time yet. Right. So more than likely, I'm assuming that, yes, this is going to be, if it does have a component where it will have antigenic drift and become seasonal, then, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a possibility, but based on the data that's coming out now, it looks like it's a one-shot deal. Um, what about um, the vaccine that they're testing right now? Um, how long will that take? Is it, is it really going to be more you think the vaccine is the one that really does this in or, or drug treatments to actually treat the symptoms or a combination of the two? So, so the drug treatment is what we call a bridge, meaning that, you know, until a vaccine is out and you have nothing else available to you, you know, and you have a non-immune person that's now being ravaged by this disease, you give, you know, whatever drugs that look like they'll work and um, until the vaccine is out, which is probably going to be in about, it's probably a year off. Really? Because even if right now they're, they're going right from nothing to phase four clinical trials based on previous uh, immunizations that they've given other people. Um, 
So it's, inter- it's, it's amazing to me that they can come that far that quickly, but it just shows, goes to show what the government can do when they really want to do something. Um, but the, the new vaccine, like even if this particular vaccine does work, um, in order to be able to get it massively reproduced um, and have uh, post uh, – like, like they, have to, they have to do studies – on what potential side effects this thing is going to have in patients like long term. So you're probably looking at even in a base case scenario, like a year from this vaccine, but I'm pretty sure that come September, you know, we'll we'll probably have a really good drug that's specific just for this alone. Um, like in influenza, we have the neuramidase inhibitors like Tamiflu and Ostelimavir, I mean, and, and Relenza. Um, there's a newer drug called Zofluza. Um, and these are like miracle drugs, right? I used to have patients that would suffer for like up to 14 days with influenza. You can now give a drug like Zofluza and literally within 24 hours, every, they'll be much better. Really? Yeah. So problem is that you can't use this in in the COVID-19 because it's not working. Ah, so I tried it. It just has no effect. Right. So I'm hoping that something like that will come along probably by the fall if this thing comes around again. So do you think, I mean, all in all, if you had to look at the response for the United States in the last three weeks, would you say they're dropping the ball, doing things right, or somewhere in the middle? Somewhere in the middle. I mean, I think they're doing as right as they can based on, like, you know, previous history, right? So there was, I guess, a lot of restrictions in place on what they could and can't do uh, with regards to vaccine development or, you know, medication development. Um, And my biggest frustration is not being able to get the amount of tests that I need and to have a rapid test that I can do at the bedside like I can with influenza. Right. So if we had more widespread testing and a quicker turnaround on it, it would be a game changer, right? Because then again, like I said before, you can identify patients who are, you know, without symptoms and kind of help stem the tide that way. Once, so once, let's say my daughter, once she, let's say, assuming she does come back positive, you suspect, once she... Right fully recovered so that means now she is immune she cannot catch it again more than likely now the other thing is that with patients that come back positive that self-quarantine for the period of 14 days they they then they then need to be rescreened again to make sure that they've cleared it i think there's one person i think in nebraska who came off that ship and i think it's like something like day 60 and he had no symptoms at all. And he's still shedding the virus. And so they're still keeping him in quarantine right now because, you know, he's still spreading it. And he just waits every day until his test comes back negative. So wait, he's, but he has no symptoms and he's still shedding virus. So is, yes. that, is that why this thing is so contagious? Because it's like it's almost a perfect storm in a sense that the virus – I guess like, the, you know, viruses will burn out if the person gets it. Like in the in a science fiction movie, it has a 12-hour, you know, uh, expression time. Well, that's not very good for the virus, right? Because the person dies right. so fast, they have no time to spread it, right? 
Exactly. So like the cipher model with it, which instant spread, it almost will, that won't be a very contagious virus. The worst is when someone's walking around for two or three weeks, they have no idea they're sick and everything that yet they're shedding massive quantities of the virus, right? Right. And it's is, that, just, uh, is that coronavirus in a nutshell? That's really the way it's shaping up. That's what it is. Coronavirus, like, like I said, it, it's it's a, what we call a novel virus. It means it's, it's new, uh, it's very aggressive, and spread. You know, not just when someone's symptomatic, but when they have no symptoms at all. Um, it's like it's like the perfect virus <laughs> trying to take advantage. Now, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting how it will just go and hijack a cell. And just completely kind of take over, but um, with the same thing like cancer cells, right? Like they're really smart and will change their DNA and multiply and do whatever they need to do. But ultimately, in some people, it'll kill the host, right? Which makes no sense. Why would something be that aggressive but ultimately cause the demise of the thing that's hosting them? It's just uh, it's a weird dynamic, but. So what's the what's the well that's probably an accident on the virus's part. It's probably an unintended consequence. Because at the end of the day, it's not the hijacking of the machinery that kills the person. Is it really more the own the person's own immune response against right. it? Exactly. So I guess so. How would you compare this to like what happened with nineteen eighteen flu, Spanish flu? Uh, you know, Spanish flu. You know, again, it, it was a lot of people that we didn't know anything about isolation or self-isolation. Uh, younger people were, you know, succumbing to it. They're not sure if it was just some, you know, maybe genetic mutation that of the of of the host of the people that got that died that um, allowed them to become hyperinfected. Uh, remember, antibiotics were not invented then at that point and so people were dying of pneumonia after the influenza it wasn't so much the influenza killing them and the hyperimmune response which was part of it but we didn't have antibiotics to kill off the bacterial infection that happened after that got it got it so it was just the result of basically you get the flu and then that you you get pneumonia from that the neck creates bacterial pneumonia and you die of that right I mean, that plus, again, that particular strain that they had also caused very similar to coronavirus, a hyperimmune response where, you know, people basically, you know, got all inflamed and died of the complications of their immune response. So it's a, it was two, two, two things that happened to them. Was that more 20s, 30s, and 40s? People had thought like the, that was the, the age group that got afflicted the, the worst was... Or that yeah. yeah, younger people, younger people had it. But then again, you know, the the average age of the the average age of a male in 1918 to die was like I think 53 or 54. Ah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we didn't have a whole lot of old people then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, it just goes to show you how you know sanitation and you know, medical science has, you know, allowed humans to like live much, much longer right now. Let me switch to a different topic because uh, you're, you, what you really do is, you're, you know, yes, of course you're treating the virus now. You're on the front lines and you're the guy that's actually out there in the field, like, like you're actually out there taking the shots basically, right? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to 
text you a picture of me in full regalia when we finish. Let's go see it. So but normally you really focus on the other end, on life extension, right? Right. What is what is your thoughts on like, you know, people out there right now in their 40s, 50s, and 60s? How long should we live? after coronavirus is over, what are your thoughts on, you know, on longevity, on uh, you know, being healthy and robust until you're a hundred years old or even more? What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm I'm in total agreement. You know, I, I have uh few patients in in their hundreds actually that are still up and walking around and moving they're quite you know they're slower but the thing is the better that somebody takes care of themselves when they're young um the better their immune system is going to be the more muscle mass they have as they get older the better bone structure they have the less chance of getting a fracture um so i think we're just on the cusp of having the technologies available to have somebody look I'm not saying that people are going to live forever, although, believe it or not, there are some people in the research community that think that that's not science fiction, that that's a possibility. But you want to be really robust and live a really healthy life uh, of, until whatever the maximum amount of DNA cell turnovers you have, which is projected to be about 120 years old. Um, so, but again, it's, it's all about taking care of yourself earlier on so that you are more robust as, as you get older. In term, I mean, you're talking about with DNA, you're talking about telomeres and the shortening of, 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 uh, of telomeres, right? It, it's, it's more complicated, right? So we talked about the thymus gland. So most, most, um, people over the age of 80 will like literally have, very little T cell function. That's why we have to immunize people at 65 for pneumonia um, and shingles and all these things because the older you get, the less your immune system is going to respond to it. So you want to give them vaccines earlier on so that when they are 80, um, they'll be somewhat protected. But basically, most people, if you're not dying of, if, you, if you've already passed, you know, not dying of coronary artery disease or cancer, Ultimately, what gets most people is infectious disease, you know, like pneumonias and so on, because the body's immune system just wanes. So, so it's multifactorial, right? It's not just telomere lengthening. You have to stimulate the immune system. Um, you know, there's just a, a bunch of different, you know, you want to keep the NAD cycle going. There's just a bunch of different things that all kind of connect ultimately to enhance someone's lifespan. In terms of NAD, you mentioned that briefly. So you have me on NAD right now, Patches. I'm taking, yeah. and I actually. How are you I feeling on that, by the way? I feel good. I feel more energetic. I definitely. The first time I made a mistake, I took it at like ten o'clock at night. I put the patch on, and I got a shot of energy. I felt like and I had to take it off, and it put it back right. on this morning. So, so right. what is, explain to everyone exactly what NAD is, how it works, why I'm taking it. So, NAD is a molecule that that allows um, you to have your mitochondria produce more energy. And as we get older, um, the NAD um, levels just drop precipitously. And if you can replace it, then you can enhance your mitochondrial function. You'll get more ATP. Um, and, then, and then it also can affects it can also affect gene expression as well. 
So there are genes called sirtuin genes that uh, affect longevity, and NAD is involved in that as well to kind of enhance uh, longevity. So most of my patients over 65, you know, if they agree to it, I'll, I'll put them on that. And what's super interesting is how um, there's virtually no side effects to it, other than some people get an irritation from the patch. Uh, but I, I've never had anybody say, hey, I need to get off this stuff. It's making me sick. Right. And the most common feedback you get is what? Just more energy? M more energy, clearer thought. I had one lady, she's like 83, her strength went up. Like she went from lifting two pound weights to eight pound weights. Um, her, she claims her mental fog cleared. Um, you know, just, you know, everybody has called me just with, with positive feedback from it. Right. No, I like it actually. I, I definitely uh, feel yeah, it. And, and, and it's natural, which is, which is great, you know, and, it, and it's basically just, just a vitamin. So it's not. It's not, it's not like a manufactured thing in, in, in a lab that, you know, we don't know about. This is all, it's, it's, it's just great because, like I said, it has no side effects and only benefit. And there's very few things that, that do that. Other than that, so Fluza that we talked about, you know, for influenza, that particular drug, even though, yes, it's man-made, it actually has a better side effect profile than a placebo. Really? Yeah. So, for example, people on it, have less nausea on it than, than they do, um, without it. <laughs> it's interesting. What do you think about, uh, you know, the average family right now, what would you say to them? They're all holed up together, right? I mean, is it just, what do you do if someone in the family gets sick? Do you isolate them within the house or so is that or yeah. too late already? If someone like, like I'm here with my girlfriend, right? And right. if she was to get sick, I'm not going to try to isolate the same way Chandler's fiance, Connor, he got sick the next day. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what, are you past the point of, you know, when you're in one house, when you call I mean, the group? I mean, you, I mean, you can't really say that for sure. I agree with you more than likely. Yes. You know, everybody in the household will probably be infected. But so, uh, for example, my wife's aunt is staying with us. And, you know, we don't want her getting sick because, you know, she was by herself. So we're taking her into the house and, you know, we want to basically have least amount of contact with her as possible because we don't want her to get anything just in case we come home with something. Right. Got it. So, and, and are your kids home now with you too? Well, my daughter's still in medical school. My son's back. So, so he's hunkering down. He's, hunkering. he's like, he's, he's, he's in his room. But, you know, remember, he still has classes, so he still has his own online coursework and has projects to do and all that kind of stuff. So it's not that he's not busy and just hanging out at home. He's, he's got stuff to do. Right. But he is not going out to see his girlfriend and, you know, whatever, and he's not hanging out with his friends that much. And, you know, he's, he's mostly hunkering down. Lastly, what would you say to anyone listening to this that either has corona right now or has been testing, has tested positive? Worry your ass off. What do you do? Do you, do you just wait for the impending doom? What's the best advice you can give? So, to so, so the best advice is to kind of stay hydrated, uh, keep your temperature down, and only go to the ER if you truly have shortness of breath or something that's critical. Um, keep measuring your temperature. Uh, if you have happen to have an app on your phone that measures 
your pulse rate, you know, keep on top of your pulse rate, you know, um, and literally only seek out emergent medical care to not overwhelm the system. Only if you really are having shortness of breath or chest pain or any alarm symptoms that we call it. Got it. And, and, and to prevent and to prevent the rest of your family from getting sick, just self-isolate, use a lot of, you know, Purell, wash your hands, like literally every 20 minutes. Um, and, and, you know, try and do the, you know, if you're coughing, you know, again, have proper cough etiquette. You know, there's, there's just, you want to prevent infection to the rest of your family first um, and self-care second. Last question. How much worse do you think this would be right now at this very moment if Trump would not have closed the border with China? Oh, for sure, much worse. Much worse. We, we, we would have we had a lot more spread. I mean, honestly, would have... If Trump didn't close the border down, we would have had a lot more, a lot more cases, a lot more deaths. So by doing what he did, he, he actually really did save lives. And I have, I have no political whatever aspiration, but he did the right thing. Yep. And would you say it's anyone's fault what happened with the testing or just that's it's one of those shit happens things they thought they had the right test? I, I, think, I think it's just a combination of leftover regulations from, you know, previous – things that you know didn't allow for innovation and uh, the other thing is this this came out of left field um and you know the, the the good thing is that now that the regulations are a little bit looser you're going to see more tests coming out so he's allowing a lot more tests to come to market now the, the great thing about being in the u.s is that you know something has to pass the fda by having certain sensitivity and specificity to it um, if it doesn't meet that criteria, then the test is invalid. And that, I think that's part of the reason why there's delaying testing is because some of the earlier models that had come out didn't pass the FDA's approval because the sensitivity and specificity was quite low. The, the test that we have now is actually, you know, pretty, pretty high in sensitivity and specificity. That's why I, I'm not altogether clear of, you know, in South Korea or China when they tested people, if those real numbers are not because you don't know if those tests were false positive. You know what I mean? There's, there's a lot of um, variables to it. So well, my, my theory of this is that, you know, part of what you're seeing, for example, in Italy, uh, I think the reason why the numbers look so terrible is because the only people that end up getting tested are the ones that are the sickest. So the people who are not, right. that they recover, they never got tested. So what you see is this very, uh, uh, actually a, a highly depressed number of people who were infected, yet a very exaggerated number of those who died. Because if you think about it, like right now, I believe, I'm going to take a guess, ready for this? This might sound outlandish. I'm guessing okay. there are 5 million people in the US that are have coronavirus right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot more than we think that there is only because of the asymptomatic shed. And like I said, a month or so ago, when I was testing these people that were coming out neg negative, I was scratching my head saying, something else going on here, you know, it just doesn't make sense. That's really interesting, right? Yeah. So, and so all we see right now was the, the real, the worst cases. I, I My suspicion is that it's not gonna end up being that much deadlier than the actual flu. It's just gonna be much no, more effective. Yeah, pro, pro, it's probably going to be less deadlier than the flu. Right. For, to be right. honest. Yeah, and and just that so many people get it, 
And if they all get it at once, it overwhelms the system. But again, I, 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 I'm still not 100% sold that this shutting everything down was the right move. But hey, I don't know all the facts. It seems to me that there's going to be so much damage economically that I wonder if... Uh, I mean, two weeks, yeah. If it goes for eight weeks, I don't know, Doc. I don't know. I, I, for, I, I think they're going to have to do two weeks and then cycle it. You know what I mean? Like either two weeks on, two weeks off to kind of dampen it down or like, you know, have it rotating through different cities two weeks here. You know what I mean? Like if they rotate that two-week period, it, it may help. I guess also I'm I'm assuming I was assuming that someone gets it their their eight they they their antibodies kick in and they're asymptomatic and they can't spread it after a very short period of time. If it turns out that people that are asymptomatic and have had it continue to shed virus, well then you, then you're really screwed, right? That's well, that, that's that that's why it's important to test everybody. Like I, I I'm 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 a big believer in universal, just like we do with HIV. I think it's just, everybody should be tested for this, yep. and I, I can't wait until a rapid bedside diagnostic test comes out that I can just go. Like so, for example, if I'm going to go see Chani next week to clear her, I would love to instead of making her wait four more days, I'd like to swab her nose, put a couple of drops on this uh, slide, and say, oh, you know what, you're cleared, you can go. For example, with Chandler, right, I would love to go back, see her after she's already better and pass it the 14-day period and have some rapid bedside diagnostic test that I could just swab her nose, put her on a slide, put a couple of drops of some solution on there, and in 5, 10 minutes have an answer. Say, oh, you know what? You're cleared. You can go. Right. So why is that sort of test not available right now? I mean, it would seem like that would be a great solution. It could speed everything up. Uh, and it seems like right now speed is everything in terms of containment. Why can't they do that? Because it's because it's too new, and you know they they they're going to have to come up with the reagents. I mean, I, I I'm pretty confident that pretty quickly they will have one. Um, you know, they have they look. I was offered one from. Uh, a distributor that was made in China where it was a blood test that you can see whether someone has it or doesn't have it, you know, based on IgM and IgG, but it just looks shady. So I decided to not buy it. But if they have it in China, then, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's just any day now that we'll have one. Interesting. And in terms of uh, your practice right now, I assume that you've got to be swamped with patients. Are you still accepting new patients right now or are you just so overwhelmed by all the house calls i mean obviously people would like you to come to their house when they're sick it's safe for everyone so are you taking new patients right now yeah I, i've been taking new patients i've the only thing is i have a limited supply of these tests so you know it's it's all dependent on when i run out and when i keep getting resupplied that's that's the issue Got it. Got it. That makes sense to me. And in terms of someone that's in New York or the surrounding area that wants to get in touch with you, can they give you a call on the phone? Do you have a phone number? What would be that way to get in touch with you by telephone, the old-fashioned way? Uh, my office number is 212-737-1212. All right. So let me just repeat that. That's 212-737-1212. It's a great number you have there. And how about online? Of course, you have a website. Uh, what would be the address online that people could find out more about you or simply uh, contact you through a form? 
it's either Dr. Primus. Uh, actually, the be- better one is travelmd.com. www.travelmd, like medical doctor.com. Okay, again, that's travel, T R A V E L M D.com. I suggest that if you have symptoms, you're worried about anything in this department, don't just call up Dr. Primus for, you know, shits and giggles, so to speak, but he is someone that I trust implicitly. He's actually treated me in the past, uh, separate issue there, but he's aces and he's someone I would definitely recommend for you and anyone in your family or a friend, anyone you love or care about. He's the man on the East Coast that can really help you see your way through this whole uh, pandemic. So Doc, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate it. And stay safe. Keep hunkered down. I most certainly will. And I recommend everyone stay hunkered down. Make the best of this, though. Remember one thing, that there is a light at the end of this long, seemingly very dark tunnel. And that light is not the headlight of an oncoming train. There is a hope after this. There is a future after this. And I will tell you that right now I am planning for that future. I'm also pivoting my business right now. You know, I'm in a lot of events business, right? Obviously, that aspect of my business is much slower right now. What am I doing? I'm moving more to my online trainings, focusing on online education, Skype-based coaching, things that I'm already positioned to do that I can now expand on because there's even a greater need for it now than ever because people are not associating in large groups anymore. Everyone's hunkered down. This is the time to take a good, hard look at your business Take a good hard look at your life and say, you know what? Let me use this time to A, get stronger, meaning educate myself, grow myself, make sure that any skill set that I was looking to perfect, but maybe I didn't have the time because I was so much on the treadmill, I didn't have time to stop. And as Abraham Lincoln would say, before I would chop down a tree, if I had like maybe five minutes, I'd spend four minutes sharpening the axe before I took the first swing. Now is the time maybe you should sharpen your acts, meaning your skill sets, the things that you must need to do well to achieve greatness in your field. For those of you in sales and persuasion, or you're a CEO, a salesperson, anyone who's out there having to tell a story to people, whether that story is your vision for your future, your business plan, you're talking to people that might want to give you money to grow your business. You have to share your story in a way that empowers people, turns them on, has them believe in you. You could be selling that story to your employees to stay with you at this time, to know there's a future after this event. It could be just an everyday as a salesperson looking to close deals. Remember this, the phone, online, these these are your greatest tools right now, doing face-to-face sales via FaceTime or Skype or Zoom. Life doesn't stop. Sales doesn't stop right now. Business doesn't stop. There is a huge opportunity right now for anybody who is willing to take a good hard look at their business, at their life as it is and say, you know what? Here's what I can do today. Here's the actions I can take right now to ensure that A, I maximize the opportunity and this is an opportunity. I don't care what anyone says. Yes, there's negative aspects for sure, but there are many opportunities right now. If you don't just, you know, curl up in a ball, hunkering down doesn't mean curling up in a ball and dying. 
Hunkering down means, yes, you stay inside with those that you love, those that you care about. You don't want to be out there spreading this shit, so to speak. But that doesn't mean you stop your life or stop moving towards the things that you want. The world is big right now because we're all connected via the web. There's no reason for you to make this world small as in your whole world consists now of the four walls in which you reside with your family. You get that? So yeah, stay safe, but you can still play big, play global. Think of it now, your computer is a truly an extension. Your phone is an extension. It allows you to project your power out to whatever periphery you want. You're not stopped by what's going on right now. You get it? This does not stop you. It does not impede you from making progress. It's a challenge for sure, but you can still achieve massive greatness. Bottom line. Love you all. Again, make sure you share this podcast with your friends, your family, any business associates. People need to hear this stuff to get into perspective and know that there is a future. Stay safe. I love you all. Check this out. Every other podcast on The Wolf's Den. Take care.